Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right Moves Podcast, where we talk about how to develop happy, healthy, resilient children into happy, healthy, resilient adults. I'm your host, Dr. Debbie Ray. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Right Moves Podcast. This will be our last podcast for season one. We will be back in full swing starting the first week in August for season two. For this last episode of season one, I'm back with Tessa Baden to discuss how to advocate for your child in a school setting. Sometimes what a parent wants and what school personnel think parents want might conflict, but it's more about the way parents communicate with school personnel that helps bridge gaps that may seem to be there when discussing what's best for your child. So check in with us today to learn more about this topic. Tessa, it's good to have you back on. I know we had such a great time the last time, but thanks for coming back on today to visit with me some more. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Awesome. All right. So um, we decided this topic for, for right now is more in a school setting and thinking about what principals think parents want for their children and what parents really want for their kids. And sometimes those things don't align very well. And then if we do know that there's not a good alignment, how do we as parents discuss some of the concerns we have around what we really want that doesn't match what the principals want, right? I mean, it's kind of cyclical. Yeah. Well, it's the he said, she said kind of thing. Exactly. (laughs) What, What does everybody really want? So I think, you know, I'm a mom of a child who attends public schools in Texas. I also have been working the last 15 plus years in different kinds of education entities. And so I feel like, of course, my story is my own. Um, and the, and the stories that are shared with me by other people in my circle, I feel like I'm starting to see a trend of this kind of misalignment or maybe just miscommunication. Sometimes it's a lack of alignment. The principal believes or the principal or the school staff believe one thing and some parents believe something else. Sometimes they believe the same thing, but don't know it. Exactly. And they're going about it differently, right? Right. Right. Just trying to approach. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think the last time we were together, I mentioned a little bit about where you put attention to, you get more of, you know? And so I told you, I live by that a little bit every, in all parts of my life. And so I'm just going to bring it up again. Cause I think it helps with behavior. <laughs> Anyone who's listening. Right. Um, and I think it's really easy for a family to, um, when something happens at a school to call the principal up or say, I want a meeting with the principal. Right. I mean, that's how it works. If you yeah. want to see change or if you're concerned about something, you call them up and you say, this this happened. I'm wondering what the school's plan is. Um, hoping for a very cordial conversation like that always, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that parents, all parents, I should say, there are probably some out there who have been advocating well, and I have something to learn from them. But what I'm realizing is you, you can talk to the principal or the school staff anytime about anything, right? Not just when someone so hit my child and I want to talk about it. <laughs> so if you're a family member who believes in play and sees, you know, sees the good in play and what it can, what's, what its impact can look like, 
When's the last time you called a principal with a meeting with the principal, excuse me, and said, I'd like to talk about play. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many parents listening into podcasts like this and other things, learning more about their children. There's more information than there's ever been almost too much right in our faces all the time. And there's parents learning about play and how important it is. And I just wonder if they feel, if they feel like they can, if they feel like they can call up their principal and say, I want to talk about play. Yeah. I I believe they can. Yeah. Oh, I, I totally believe they can. And I totally believe that some parents really will call the principal and talk to them. Right. I, I get a little frustrated at times when a parent knows that their child has trouble sitting or trouble being in a room without getting in trouble because it's not because they want to be in trouble. Oh yeah. It's because they can't, they're isolated in movement, right? They, they can't move like they, they need to or want to. And so instead of helping that child be able to get the movement out, they continue to keep them in the classroom where that's not going to happen. And and they come at it from the testing direction Mm -hmm. or from thinking that, okay, well, even if they want to get out and move, you know, we can't just send out all the kids out all the time when a child wants to move. So how would you go about it if you were a parent and you wanted to talk to the principal about this and you have real concerns about a child who may need to move more, but isn't getting that opportunity to do so? What do you, what do you say? So I like to stir the pot. I like to, I like to create some uncomfortable conversations because some of what you just said is a systems issue. It's not just one person that thinks like that. It's a systems issue. And so parents are kind of scared because then you become the parent. That's the parent that who complains, who think they know everything. And that's what I, as a parent, am trying to figure out the balance of. When do I actually know more and I need to advocate for it? And when do I need to... to calm down and let my child also be, you know, learn, learn how to be around other people and other adults and other authority figures and learn different styles of that, you know, and where's the balance. I believe truly that the, obviously the more informed you are, the more likely those conversations are going to go better for your child. So when you walk into those meetings, don't walk in with an opinion, walk in with facts, Mm -hmm. suggest link all of the the things that you have published right that you guys have that or the and all the things that you use in support of your research all the things that have come before you right and walk in with information because i think a lot of times meetings are emotionally charged and while that emotion is incredibly valid um it doesn't always help the other people in the room understand the info the facts the information I also like to go, so that's two part, right? Advocate information for the family um, for those meetings, but also thinking about what your child is capable of communicating. Mm -hmm. I think we forget, you know, where all these adults are talking back and forth to each other, the parents and the principals and the teachers, well, we think, and we think, and we think, I'm like, at what point did you invite this child into this conversation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And even as young as three and four, They don't always have the exact same language and they're not going to tell you in the exact same way, but they are clear in showing you what they need. Right. And so we as adults can all sit there and say, it sounds like, you know, you need this or that. How can we make that happen? Again, pivot, 
What can you do? Stop talking about what you can't do and start talking about what you can do. Um, And opening the eyes. I mean, there's so many leaders that get that leadership position that, you know, they go through school, they get their, their, they get their teacher cert. They teach maybe for a couple of years, they get their principal cert and they get in there and they're doing it. And a lot of them do have open minds. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the main points I want to make is that there are principals out there. And I think we think they're not interested or they don't know, but actually they are so curious Principals are ready to learn. A lot of principals are ready to learn. And if we believe that, if we believe principals are ready to listen and learn and see this information, then us as parents, let's get together and let's talk about it. Let's talk about the research. But let's also remember that the principals are coming from a certain perspective. They have to do certain things. Right. So, Okay. So one of the things I know on the last time we were together, I talked a little bit about being rooted in high scope in my training. And one, another piece of high scope is um, conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And there are six set, six steps to high scopes, conflict resolution. And I believe that you can coach anybody. You can have marriage, you know, marriage therapy <laughs> with these six steps. It's not just two children having an argument. It's really human nature of wanting to be a part of the solution and not someone else telling you the solution. So if I'm sitting there as a principal and a parent says, well, you need to be doing this and you should let my child outside more. And you should, you should, you should, you sound a little bit, I don't know, it's just got this negative connotation. Yeah. But if, if two people, if two adults can come together and follow that six steps, so it's it's a part of the steps are um, stating the problem. The problem is the child needs to move more. And then as a parent, you can say, I'm wondering if you have any ideas. Mm-hmm. And I bet you anything, a principal who's being approached in that way is going to be much more ready for a conversation and not get on the defense, right? Yep. What do you think about a parent who does come with some ideas as well? I think you're, you're ready. If you're the parent who called the meeting and you do have some ideas, you're going to be able to share that. But if you start with, can you tell me a little bit about what we're trying already? You might also as a parent learn what they are trying. Right. Right. And And it's okay to then say, it sounds like you're doing those things. I have some other ideas with some research I looked at. I'm wondering if any of these are something that we can figure out. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I just, we always need to remember that no matter who you are in this, the child, the child is number one, right? Right. That is who you're trying to help. But the way we go about asking for supports or not supports, it's a cha- I want to say I'm sick of supports. I need a change in the system. Nobody, we wouldn't need so many supports if the foundational pieces were, were great. Exactly. Right? Yeah. A lot of times, you know, principals, They have certain things that they have to operate around Mm -hmm. and a parent can come with the best ideas and the principal can be there and listen to the best ideas. And sometimes the principal still doesn't believe that they can do what the parent wants because it just is outside the scope of what they can do in a school situation with what they have on their, their horizon. But one of the things that I have heard that has been successful in schools has been when a child has just been in trouble a lot and the parent keeps saying, I promise you, if when they start getting like this, you can let them just go outside for a few minutes and then come back in, they'll be great. And I know the problem. I mean, this could be a parent saying, I know the problem is who's going to supervise and just say, if there's a nurse or a counselor who can take these three or four kids that 
you know, are probably like my child and take them out for just three or four minutes and then come back in? Or can they go to a place where they can actually refocus their energy, you know, start, do some play things and come back in? I know you'll find a different child that won't be in your office every day. Mm-hmm. And a principal was, was willing to try that. And it made a world of difference in what happened with those children. Now, the sad part is, is that it was only for the voices of those children that were in the office all the time, but not for the silent partners who need it just as much as the ones that showed an outward need for it. And I think the more we can advocate for the children in the classroom versus the one child is even better. Right. And so I agree 100%. And I actually was thinking kind of while we were talking, the difference between changing the schedule for everyone meets the needs of everyone. You know, changing the schedule for one, like a one kid gets to do it, doesn't fix. I mean, I don't know anything about compliant children. I'm, I still get in trouble pretty much daily. You know, the boss calls in, I'm like, what did I do? What did I, what, what, what what have I done? But the, those children who sit there and take it, right. They're not outward about it, but that doesn't mean it's not affecting their mental health, their social emotional growth, their retention rates. I mean, they're sitting there and I think too, so four-year-olds, um, asked to sit still, are literally, I, I do this little activity, right? When I'm training or trying to inspire others to reframe and they're sitting there, there's three and four year olds are sitting crisscross applesauce. Excuse my uh, tone of voice. It, it was incredibly intentional. Um, that they, they, they sit and they, all the children are doing are saying, sit down, 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 stay sitting. Your teacher wants you to sit down. Don't move your arms. Don't put your hands in your lap, which means that everything that you just taught didn't do anything. Right. And so, you know, like you just said, fixing the, you know, we can let a child, it's like the problem. So it's like an inquiry cycle. What can we do for this one child? And then we realize, oh my gosh, could we do that for everybody? Enter the link project. Right. I I mean, (laughs) include it for everybody because just because they're not outward about their behavior does not mean it's not having a negative impact on their and, and look at, and principals are really care. They really care about those, those, um, because they have to not, even if morally they don't, they have to, to keep their jobs, that certain output of mastery, right. State objectives. Right. And if we could convince principals and I don't, again, I like, I, I shouldn't even say if we could convince them it's when we discuss with principals, if we share what to do instead of what they should stop doing, I think it helps everyone. we got to pivot. You know, you gotta, you can't believe you're doing this or this or that. Let's focus on, okay, let me help you with your master schedule principle, right? So any principals listening to this, (laughs) reach out to people like the link project for how to, how can we, we can have best of both worlds. We don't have to say we got to stop doing that and then don't give any solutions, right? Like what can we do is, and of course we know that's getting children to move. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, to add to that, I think a lot of times educators across the board, not just principals, but educators across the board, whether it's from administration all the way down to individuals who drive buses and monitor lunchrooms and bathroom duty and, you know, whatever 
whatever people are doing. But if they think that the only way children can learn is in a classroom, they're sorely mistaken. And I think that's one of the things that Link does bring to the table that people could use in their language as they talk to whoever about what's going on is that being at play is a content. We are actually working on content. Mm -hmm. Science and math concepts are learned about 40 to 50% of the play time outside when given the opportunity to play with whatever their creativity is in mind, right? Mm -hmm. If we give them those, those times, that's just like being in a classroom with content. Well, uh, th again, there two things came to mind when you were just talking about content and mastery and think and having those leaders and those conversations be uh, uh, foundationally in what children are supposed to know in the future and what they need. These are all good things. These are not this or that, right? Is, you know, in early childhood, we talk about steady beat um, and that being a part of uh, future rhythmic reading. Right. So when a child is reading, learning to read, um, they get if they don't have any natural rhythm, the comprehension can can fail. Right. So it's the dog went across the you know, but the dog went across the street is totally different in the brain. Right. And right. so we think about the swinging, the merry-go-round, the jumping, the the um, all the things that you that we've been talking about is it's directly related to reading comprehension and reading success later in life is all these movements. Right. And the second thing I was thinking of when you were saying earlier about content is the difference between, I actually wrote this down. So, and it just came up, um, is explicit versus direct. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, um, when, when state entities push down what the necessary things are, um, they are very big on the word explicit. We cannot by chance learn. We have to make sure every children child is exposed to the information. And I, under, I, I don't always love it, but I get it. And so I try to move forward into explaining to districts or principals or anybody that the, the word explicit does not mean direct. I can explicitly teach every child in this class math operations outside. Yeah. I don't have to direct teach them as a large group at desks in a, through a screen inside. Right. That's correct. Yep. Right. And so, but I think that that those words are unfortunately being used very interchangeably. When I hear, you know, as a teacher, when I hear the word explicit or a principal says we have to be explicit, it sounds like I must sit them down in military style form. You know, I'm going to direct this. I'm going to make sure explicit, you get this explicitly, but explicit just means planned. Yeah. So I'm going to plan to take you outside and we're going to count how many times we move our bodies in this yeah. way. Yeah. And that's explicit, right? I love, I love that connection um, because it is very much a teacher and, you know, rightfully so we have, we have created the space for teachers to uh, be connected with a score a child score as a result of what we've delivered to them mm -hmm. instead of what has the child been able to pick up and explore and be part of an example or situation or scenario to be able to answer through problem solving skills and critical thinking skills. But instead 
if we give them all the information, and I think we talked about this in the last session, but if we give them all the information, number one, they may not be listening or taking it in. They may be, you know, trying to sit still, right? I'm sitting down. I'm sitting down. down. Yep. Um, Or if they do, we don't broach that subject again, like Dr. Medina talks about. We don't broach the subject again for a day or two because we got so much material to cover that they've already forgotten the material before Mm -hmm. we get to it because they haven't practiced it. Whereas if they go to play throughout the day, they're actually able to take this and use it in experiences outside, which then become the glue to making it more memory, working memory in the brain. Right. What's the, what's the data that talks about, um, if you're taught something, you have to be told a certain amount of times to remember it. But if you learn it through play, it's only a certain number of experiences. I don't ever remember the numbers, but you know yeah. what I'm talking about, right? I do. I do. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, and it's true. Um, yeah, it takes up to 10 years, as Dr. Medina would talk about. It takes up to 10 years for something that you learn or that you that you experience for it to become long-term memory if you're not moving on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. But there are also ways that the brain can really move or use different pieces. So as he says, you know, if you're riding a bike, that's going to be with you forever. It's it's more of a memory that can be muscle memory as well. And yes, you may be not as balanced when you're working on a bike later on in life as you were when you were a kid, but you can still come back to it, recall it. Whereas the executive function part of the brain has to have that constant uh, vitamin, which yeah. is moving, right? I mean, to be able to really establish what you need to be able to do. So so w- one thing I just remembered that I wanted to mention earlier, I'm sure. sorry, uh, is, you know, getting to move between activities uh, feels overwhelming sometimes to a master schedule, to a number of minutes, to a school system that is focused on number of minutes and everything. One uh, way that uh, teachers can get trained and principals can and ins- can inspire is trying to use movement during the lesson, yeah. right? So when you make your lesson plan, literally it start like enter whatever you're on Google Docs or you have a table or you have a spreadsheet where you do your lesson plans, insert row and write movement. Yeah. How do I include movement in this lesson? And that's another way that I wanted to say as either a family for advocacy, a teacher, you know, different, different ways to go about this, right? So from a principal's perspective, a teacher's perspective, a parent's perspective, and then the child's perspective, children are showing us they need movement by failing at all the rules. Mm-hmm. constantly true. parents are a lot of parents or not I shouldn't say I, I don't want to overgeneralize here there are parents who want their kids to do well in school and by do well they mean listen to the teacher be obedient there are some parents that like me a little crunchy like no my, my let my child move this is not her fault you know and then there's the teacher who's trying to do it all which is nearly impossible these days Mm-hmm. And, the, and the principal. And so all these people advocating, but if you think about the end of the day, we're all wanting our children to succeed. And so, so coming from all those different perspectives, I think that the, there's doable things, there's short-term goals and there's long-term goals. Long-term goals are changing the master schedule to have more time outside all day, every single day. 
that's, it doesn't have to be long-term. It kind of can feel long-term to some principals when they first hear it, right? More doable right now is that every person can go to these meetings and say, how can we put movement in? Outside would be best. Um, but how can we put movement into every single lesson? It should be required as part of the lesson plan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even, uh, you know, thinking about how children, if you're in a traditional classroom, they might be in desks or around a table. But if you think about individual needs of kids, it may be that some are in beanbags on the floor. Others are on the floor on their stomach. Uh, others are standing up at a desk. Others are moving around and you know writing on the whiteboard or whatever to do their lessons. Mm-hmm. And that can be that can be frustrating for some people who really want a controlled environment, right? versus one that they feel is more chaotic. But for your children, you know, I, I remember going in and observing a classroom of a teacher who in my way of seeing a classroom, right, just my perception was that these kids were all over the place. Guess who had the highest scores on their tests? I'm guessing that class. <laughs> yeah, because she was allowing those children to function in the way that they learn best. It reminded me of a Montessori classroom, right? Where they're, they're able to just move in their spaces the way they want to. And they navigate very well with each other that way. Mm-hmm. And it gives them that, that permission to build confidence and self-esteem in a way that they can build it and not a teacher saying, let's do it this way. Not to say, and I want to be very clear on this, both of, both of us are being very clear on this. There's a lot in a teacher's path these days. There's a lot in a principal's path. There's a lot in a superintendent's path. It's very difficult at times to give voice to the child because there are so many expectations on schools and it's labels that are being put on schools. It's you know, trying to say, well, one school is not as good as another. And really, they're not. I mean, a score can't tell you what's really going on in the learning environment of this child. But I think it's important for us to, to state here, and I know you've said it, and I want to be clear that I'm saying it, is that even though we may not be on the same page, that as parents, we understand where schools are right now. And it's, it's a sad place where we're having to be because of federal and state dollars and how they can control what happens in a school setting. Right. At the same time, I agree with you. There are people out there, teachers, principals, superintendents who say, we want to be able to do whatever we can within the boundaries loosely loosely made to be able to make this happen. And I think that, I think that you in your, in your program and as well as everything I try to leave with any person who will possibly listen to me is Go ahead and write down your big wild goals. Yeah. Let children be outside as much as possible. But go ahead and also write down your what can I do? What do I have control of over right now? And I, you know, I, I have also been lucky enough to have some training in that um, Franklin Covey, Stephen Covey yes. circle of control. You know, and it's like if I know children need to move, and I'm listening to this podcast the first time. This is the first time I've ever heard that children need to move this much, and these passionate people talking about it. What do I have control over? I mean, I could tomorrow during my math lesson say, we could do this one standing up. That I have control over. 
And we can build off of that. I think we need to remember that when we hear these grandiose ideas and this excitement over passionate advocacy for letting children be children and and their their right to play and their right to be outside, those are big, wild goals, and I love them, and I will never stop talking about them. But we also need to give anyone who's listening or anyone who's interested some doable things that feel good, that they can feel successful with, right? Because otherwise, we kind of forget about it. Yeah. It's just not possible, so I'm just going to go home and not talk about it. Absolutely. So I like these ideas of like, what can we do? We can move a little bit. Also, um, I just spoke with a couple principals. This is anecdotal data, but I just spoke with a couple principals that I said, if a teacher asked you if they could go outside and do a lesson, what would you say? And they were like, yes, of course. And I just want to tell anyone who's listening that if you have a plan and let's go back to explicit versus direct, write down your plan of explicit teaching while you're outside, explicit movement, right? I'm going to make sure there's movement. I'm going to make sure there's learning and put it on your plan and let your principal know the plan. I think a lot of principals are ready to let people go outside. I just think that the planning needs to be there. Yep. So, you know, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I'm going to put a pitch in here for middle and high school when I, when I was teaching and I still, I see it in kids today as well. And teachers, when a teacher loves the outdoors and they can take their kids out to do a science experiment, uh, a math experiment or read, if they can be in a shaded area, kids will read outdoors so much easier than reading in that classroom with that fake lighting and you know sometimes don't even have windows in their rooms they will respond so well to that and they'll sit there and they'll actually read whereas if you have them inside they're not they may take a nap they may you know be looking out the window staring in space they won't do what they need to do but well they're going to choose to meet their needs right so if i'm feeling inside i'm feeling completely driven by this environment to push, push back. I'm throwing my book. I'm I'm sitting on my book. I'm, I'm putting the book on my face to see how it feels, but outside (laughs) the, you know, the wind and the sun do that for you. So you're much more likely to just sit and open that book. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. So I was grinning very big when you started talking about reading outside. I don't know if you can tell, but I have a passion for making reading more fun outside. I can, I can tell that passion. And, you know, so one of these days we're going to talk about that. We're okay. going to talk about reading through play. Um, so, you know, we're about out of time here. And I want to wrap up with some really important things, some nuggets that have come from this conversation. Um, and so going back to your direct versus explicit, I think that was an important point, right? Give me a couple of other points that we've made today that you think are just, hey, teachers, Well, to teachers, to parents, to principals, um, I want to say that I believe in public school. And I believe that principals and teachers and parents alike want to communicate with each other to do the best for children. I have never met a principal who doesn't want the best for your child. Parents, I've never met a parent who doesn't want the best for their child. And so start having conversations, informed conversations about these things. Um, Just down the road, we went to a, we have a ditch in our neighborhood and we love to go play down there. And there was a family outside and they homeschool and they said, oh, we don't go to public school because we believe children should be able to play. And I said, my daughter's in public school and I work in public schools and I believe children should play. Let's keep talking about this. Yeah. So keep it open and keep talking about it and keep advocating um, and find doable ways to do it. Teachers, 
go outside tomorrow for one of your lessons, right? Uh, I think we both have talked a lot, Debbie, about unstructured play, which has its place. Mm-hmm. But if you're not sure how to get to the unstructured yet, you haven't talked to your principal, you haven't discussed that in the master schedule yet, at least take them out for a lesson, a move, you know, right? Um, do what you can do um, and keep advocating for the child um, because if we don't, who will? Exactly. I totally agree. And I have to agree with you on everything that you've said. Um, I truly believe in public schools as well. I truly believe that our mission as educators is to do what's best for kids, to help them be the best learners they can be. And yes, play should be part of that. But I totally agree. If right now it's taking them out for a lesson twice a week, get them outside. Put in your lesson plan and your principals will will like your plans, your explicit plans. (laughs) <laughs> that's right. They're there. That's right. And, um, I didn't mention it. I know we're wrapping up. I didn't mention it, but a, part, a little part of my story is that my daughter goes to a public school that has uh, several times outside a day, um, unstructured, does outdoor learning, and also has a loose parts, large playground. And um, I, I believe that that started because there were two teachers who wanted to do it and a few parents who were willing to help. Right. Mm, So if you are out there and you are wondering how to do this in your spaces with your children or if you're a principal for your schools or a teacher at your school, it can start with one person. Yes, it can. It has to be people that are willing to listen and willing to try. Right. Trust, trust what you're going to try to do. And, you know, it can be adapted as you go. Don't think that, oh, I failed it. Oh, this didn't work. It can be adapted. Whatever right. you're working Live on. Live and learn. And you've got people like Tessa and me <laughs> who can come and work with you if, if you've got some questions or needs. So thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. I think it had some great information that I hope will help educators, parents, community support, whoever it might be. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it very much. Absolutely. And as always, take care, have a great week, and play often. This podcast was brought to you by the Link Center for Healthy Play at Texas Christian University. To learn more about the Link Center and the resources mentioned in today's episode, visit our website at www.liinkproject.tcu.edu.